Are you an Aussie tradie and your paperwork is shady? Do the darkest farm side keep you up late at night? Are you sick of pushing paper? Swinging your tools the more you gave up. Call us the tricks of your trade. Welcome to the Tricks of Your Trade podcast, where we talk about trade business topics to help you get through business life unscathed. Does the bill to pay you late and your cash flow fluctuates? Do you dread the office work? Can't afford a full-time clerk? Consider working smarter. Don't be a business smarter. Call us the Tricks of Your Trade. Welcome to episode 12 of the Tricks of Your Trade podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Serson, construction adjudicator and director of Tricks of Your Trade. On today's podcast, I'm going to continue with the theme of contract risk and I've got a few tips on how you guys can for free manage and mitigate risk under contract with your builder without upsetting your builder. In fact, if you guys do this the right way, your builder should be thanking you. And I'm not joking you, these are 100% free things that you can implement right now uh, that will mitigate a massive amount of risk uh, from your interactions with your builder. So I'm going to keep it a short podcast. I know that we've been running over time for the last few podcasts, uh, but I have been trying to pepper in a bunch of guest experts to give you guys the most value possible. Today, I'm going to just get straight into it. So the very first thing that you can do today for free uh, that will not upset your builder is never, 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 never start work on site without a fully executed and returned copy of the contract in your possession. So it's not enough that you sign your part and send it back to the builder and then start work. What you need to be doing is you need to make sure that the builder returns it to you fully executed so that you've got a copy for yourself. Now I understand why you guys start work on site without a contract and I know that you think you're being a good bloke and you're doing the builder a favour. Let me tell you that I've been involved in enough adjudications uh, with this argument that the builder will not thank you when he's got to spend thirty dollars to $50,000 having his lawyers argue what the contract is. And it always, always unfolds that you guys might think you're on the same page when you start work and you had a handshake deal, but it is very rare that you are on the same page when you're in dispute. And if the builder can backpedal and get out of paying you some cash, he's gonna try and do it. Because after all, the relationship uh, potentially isn't worth as much when you're in dispute because the builder thinks, well, I'm never gonna use this subby again anyway. Or the builder might have circumstances change and the builder may not be as solvent as he was when you entered into the contract. But the crux of it is, and this is what, as a business owner, is so important for you to understand, is that when that builder asks you to start work on site and he says, look, I'm gonna get you the paperwork, but we just really need to make a start. What he's actually saying to you is, I need you. I don't have time to find anyone else. I need you so badly, I need you to start without actually having the document squared away. And so he's telling you right there that you have got some insane leverage and there's an urgency there. So you can negotiate terms under the contract and you're much more likely to uh, get them across the line because the builder wants you to hurry up and get on site. So if you can come to the builder at that point with your terms that you want negotiated on and you do it in a pragmatic way that makes sense and the builder thinks, oh yeah, that's common sense, you know, I can agree to that. You are much more likely to get those changes agreed to in that moment than you are if the builder has an infinite amount of time and he has other people lined up to do the job. 
So I've never had anyone tell me that they've not been given a job because they asked to have a signed contract before they started on site. It is very, very unlikely that the builder is going to do that. I can tell you as an ex-builder's CA that when you've told somebody that you're gonna give them the job, and even when you've drafted the contract and you've emailed it over, you, there's a mental barrier from going back on that. You've already committed in your mind to who you're using. You've probably already told the foreman. There might've been some safety documents exchanged. So to change subbies at that late point, it really doesn't make much sense because you've already done the hard yards in terms of getting that stuff done. But I can also tell you as a builder's ex-builder's CA that if your contract is not coming quickly enough, it could well be because that CA does not understand the scope of work well enough to sit down and write a decent scope of work into the contract. Because the way these contracts work is that most of them are fully templated before the project starts. So the CA really only needs to put in your details, your start and completion dates, and then your scope of work, because most of the other stuff is already in template form that somebody up, up the chain in the builder's uh, contract uh, company has already prepared. So if the CA is dragging the chain on getting you the documents, heads up, it could be because he doesn't, he or she does not understand the scope of work properly. And more fool you if you start work with that in the back of your mind, because that is alarm bells in terms of an indication on whether or not there's gonna be an argument. And I bet you've all seen this play out before where the CA has written something into the scope of work it's a little bit ambiguous or there could be an inconsistency or a contradiction throughout the document and you're saying hey look it doesn't make sense that this would be included in our scope and the CA says no look um, you should have reasonably priced that in and so ensues the problems and the argument and it all catalyzes in a payment claim so in terms of eliminating all of this crap from your daily work life just never, 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 never start work on site without a signed contract. It is the easiest thing that you can make sure is done to eliminate an argument. And those arguments are so expensive if they have to be had. So once you start work on site without a contract, the very first thing that happens is you start spending money to do the builder's job for him. And then you wanna be paid. And when it comes to getting paid, then the builder's got the leverage because he's gonna sit back and say, I'm not paying you until you sign and return the contract documents. And at that point, he's holding your payment to ransom. So he holds all the leverage in that situation. So the moment that you start work on site without a contract, you are essentially handing him all of the leverage in the circumstances. Now, recently I've seen builders who uh, the subby has returned the signed contract and then started work on site and then lo and behold, three or four weeks later, back comes the contract from the builder's camp marked up and it's almost entirely different from when it was when the, build, uh, when the subby sent it back to the builder. And now the bloody subby's got to fight to argue what the contract was, whether the contract that he had sent back uh, when he started on site is the binding contract or is it the builder's contract with all the new markups. And if the subby doesn't stop work when he receives that marked up document uh, from the builder, then there's an argument to be had that the subby might've accepted it by conduct because he kept working once the builder sent back the further amended contract. 
And so you can see how convoluted and complicated this argument can get. And it will be played out in every single angle it could possibly be run because the lawyers will grab hold of it. They will absolutely sink their teeth into it. And an adjudicator has then got to decide what the contract is. And you really don't want to leave that in anyone else's hands. Why would you leave that in anyone else's hands when you could just simply have a document that was signed on a certain day, countersigned by the builder and sent back, and it is one complete record, um, signed, sealed, delivered, and binding. Now, the second thing you can do in your business today that is free uh, and will not upset your builder is you can stop doing variation work unless you have got a direction in writing and an agreement on the price or the calculation, the method of calculation for that variation. And so it's just not doing handshake deal variations anymore. And you're gonna be thinking when you're listening to this, well, that will upset my builder. Well, it might upset your builder for the first or second time it happens, but pretty soon they will get the gist that this is the way that you operate. And they will be thanking you for it at the end of the job when everything is squared away in writing. There's no surprises. And to be honest, your builder should be thanking you for standing strong on this because one of a build, the builder's biggest concern when it comes to variations is that at the end of the job, the sub is gonna come forward with all of these day works or all these unexpected variations that weren't planned for. And if he can trust you to always only ever claim what you had approved in writing, that is some certainty for that builder that he is not going to find in other subbies. And I can tell you again as an ex-builder CA that uh, unexpected variations are very difficult to explain to management when you're working for a building company. And at the end of the month when you've got to do your project reporting, you have to do cost reporting to your project manager. And if all of a sudden uh, the budget allocation for a particular trade goes through the roof because all these varies came through that nobody expected to get. It's a big worry. It's a hard one to explain. So your CA should be thanking you. And if he's not thanking you, you should point that out to him that, hey, you should, you should be thanking me for this because you can trust me never to claim anything that I haven't told you about prior to doing the work, number one. Number two, you've got an opportunity to go and manage this as a head contract variation or to discover why this wasn't considered for our scope of work and to manage that, whether or not it be a back, tra uh, back charge to another trade or something like that. And pretty soon your builder's CA will see some sense in that. Um, you just need to be sort of candid about how you say that to them, polite about how you say it, and uh, they should get it. Now, the third thing that you can do today that is free uh, to mitigate contract risk and save yourself a whole lot of arguments is to give notices of delay and claim extensions of time under your contract. Now, I'm not gonna promise you that this won't upset your builder because a lot of builders are a bit silly, to be honest, and they don't really understand the whole uh, point of giving a notice of delay. So there's this perception in the industry that if you give a notice under the contract to your builder, your builder's gonna go, oh, you're getting all contractual, you know, you shouldn't be doing this, why are you rocking the boat and causing problems for me? But the builder's missing the point. The point is, there's something delaying our work and it needs to be fixed. And when that delay is removed, we can get on with the job. So it is 100% in the builder's best interests to hear from you as soon as humanly possible 
when there's a delay and even better if you do it in writing it should trigger the internal contract admin in the builders camp to claim a head contract extension of time and if the builder's clever and he's administering his contract properly he might even be entitled to delay costs so you could be helping him get paid for something extra under his contract if he was to take it and run with it and deal with it properly now <clears throat> i know that putting in claims for extension of time and um, delay notices is not probably something super exciting for you as a subby. You might just think, well, look, I'm on the tools or I'm running a crew of guys. I don't want to be dealing with this extra admin. Let me tell you that pretty much whenever an argument goes south and a builder realizes that he has to pay you for variations and he can't get one over you on other elements of the contract, the fallback to recoup money always comes back to liquidated damages. It's like they're a one trick pony and when they can't get what they want or they have to pay you some money, they will try to set that off by imposing liquidated damages. And it is a real risk that you could have liquidated damages imposed on you. I've seen so many arguments where this takes place. So if you could just eliminate that by just giving notices of delay and claiming your extensions of time, wouldn't it be a no-brainer? Now, a couple of years ago, I was working with a subby who had a builder trying to take $1.7 million in liquidated damages off him. The entire contract value was only a million dollars. Uh, but he was found himself in a position where there was an astronomical amount of liquidated damages per day and it was across multiple separable portions. So cumulatively, it all added up. And this subby looked me in the eye and he said, Michelle, if they're gonna take $1.7 million worth of liquidated damages off me, our company is pretty much kaput. It's almost sort of laughable that this is even a real situation. And I had to explain to him, look, this, this is actually the real world. We're dealing with this. This is a real problem. This is not fairyland and somebody's just threatening this from you. On a smaller scale, uh, just a few months ago, I was involved in an adjudication where a builder was taking liquidated damages from 17 subcontractors on the same job and was silly enough to write it in a payment schedule. So it was plain as day there for everybody to see. So this is not boogeyman stuff that I'm talking about. This is real life stuff that is taking place today, happening to subbies all over the country. And if you can just do these things for free, you would be absolutely mad not to do it. Now, when we talk about our, our hierarchy of contract risk controls, it's very similar to the hierarchy of controls in, in safety and construction. And the very top of the uh, pyramid is elimination. If you can eliminate a risk, why would you not eliminate a risk? And I can tell you that elimination is nine times out of 10, it is the cheapest way for you to deal with a risk. So if you're gonna take somebody out of a situation or take away a risk out of a situation or a hazard out of a situation, uh, that's gotta be a no-brainer that you would do that. And these three things, never, never, never starting work on site without a contract, never starting a variation without having it squared away in writing and the price for the variation squared away in writing, and always giving notices of delay and claiming your EOTs, you are gonna be in such a better position under contract that if a dispute unfolds, really all that's left is uh, you know technicalities under the contract or breaches or defects so you've just got to manage your quality after that and you should be in good stead 
So those are my three hot tips for uh, eliminating risk under contract with your builder for free in a way that will not upset the apple cart with your builder. And I'm going to conclude my episode there. I really genuinely hope you have a fantastic weekend. If you would like to contact me, you can do so by emailing me questions at tricksofyourtrade.com.au. Alternatively, you can go to my website, www.tricksofyourtrade.com.au. Catch you on the next one.